world, and welcome back to the Shape of a Star podcast, where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it so that, like, we're the star, or something similar to that nature, and blah, blah, blah. You hear me say that every time. Okay, so today I'm super excited to have this creator on this time, because, well, as always with writer people, it's probably poached from Sarah. If you don't know who Sarah is, go listen to episode six. But today we have someone who has been in the writing world, but also has a super unique story. And I was like, you sound awesome. Let's bring you on. So everyone, guests, fellows, and people nearby that are just randomly hearing this in the background, please welcome Maria Fraser. Hello. Did I say your last name right? It's Fraser, yeah. Fraser, not sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Like blazer, yeah. Bla- oh, so easy to <laughs> blazer, blazer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. So I always let the guests introduce themselves because I feel like we're always the best at introducing rather than me figuring life out. So take it away. I'm Maria. I am a um, children's book author by day and social worker by night. I'm from San Antonio, Texas. I live in Austin now with my dog and my husband. Um, and yeah, it's a great life. Done. Period. Great life. Living a dream. So I didn't know that you were a social worker by night mostly though, these days. That, yeah, that's new. Yeah. So when I, um, so I recent I was a, um, I was a school social worker for five years and I recently transitioned to, being a full-time author, which it's not really that. I'm also doing um, PR in <laughs> social work at hospitals. So um, taking like night shifts and weekend shifts and stuff like that. So um, now instead of having a day job, writing is the day job and the social work stuff happens um, when, when the writing used to happen. Yeah. So because you've done both now, do you feel like there's more activity for social work at night or is it pretty even? Um, it really, it really just depends because, um, with the way that like a hospital works, for example, um, there's social work needed throughout the whole hospital, but a lot of that can wait until morning. And so overnight you're responding to like certain crises. So it's like the emergency room, um, and that sort of thing. So, so it really just depends, um, on, on kind of like what your um, agency or what your hospital or your school kind of has going on. But of course, like, of course, you know, different things happen at night, just the way different things happen in the summer um, versus <laughs> yep. the winter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So with that little curiosity thing, let's get <laughs> back to the scheduled programming. Yeah. Uh, because as you know, world, uh, today is May 27th, 2022. So whenever this premieres, remember context. Uh, <laughs> I always like to tell people because sometimes we record like a year in advance. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and everyone also knows the questions are pre-sent because I'm not trying to get you anyone. So back to regular scheduled questioning. So, okay. On the pre-form, you... Yeah. Your special interest is that you like to keep your plants alive. Yeah. Which, that's exciting, especially because in Texas, it's like, okay, cool. What kind of plants do you have down there? Yeah. Or do you specifically take care of? Yeah. So in Texas, that's a great question because um, it does get it does get really hot here and things fry. So like 
it's not about necessarily depending on what plant it is you don't have to you don't have to keep your plants alive all the time and that's part of the natural cycle of life and plants is that they don't all live all the time so basically we but our gardening season starts pretty early compared to um, where you are or other parts of the u.s like we can put our stuff in the earth in march um, for the garden and so even like I've had friends who their tomatoes won't die until January. Like they'll just keep it going. I don't do that because it gets like unwieldy and I just am like, okay, once we're done with the tomatoes, we'll take them all out and then we'll say, thank you so much tomatoes. And that's it. But basically what happens is you get like a growing season from March until um, like mm, the end of June. And then for July and August and the beginning of September, it's just like too hot for stuff to grow. And then if you want to, you can like resurrect your tomatoes or um, plant new ones. I'm, I'm kind of focusing on tomatoes here, but um, like for something like um, lettuce or anything like that, like greens, you could probably pretty much grow them here year round. There's like a couple, not year round. I mean, um, during the during this season. Yeah, like during the winter, like you could grow them during the winter and the so so you can you can garden here year round. There's only a couple of days where there's too much snow or cold coldness or that that would be an issue. But um that yeah, you can you can garden year round here. And I have some um like I'm trying to grow blueberries and so that's a perennial, so I'm trying to like keep that guy alive so I can get my berries and I want to hopefully have a lot of blueberries one day. That would be good. That's cool because uh, whenever I usually ask people this question, not on the podcast, you're actually the first person really in the plants outside. So that's exciting. But oh, most people yeah. like do like indoor plants like pothos or pothos. I don't know how they say it actually. Yeah. So no. I have a snake plant inside. Um, but yeah, I like the ones I can actually eat. <laughs> I don't blame you. That's what my dad does. He loves his tomatoes. Yeah. Well, okay. He doesn't love his tomatoes. He loves his tomato plants, and my mom likes to eat them. So. Oh, what a great combination! That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the tomato salad, amazing. Uh, no, that's super cool though that you go for the. Oh, that was the other follow up. What kind of soil do you have down there? So it so it's different in different parts of Texas, but um. I have really um, alkaline soil in my area in, in, in this part of Texas because of like the limestone. Um, so like for the blueberries, like I have that in a pot, for example, like that's not like that grows in a pot that I do not put that in the ground. Yeah. And it can get like, I mean, there's definitely places where it's like rocky and stuff because this, this is like kind of the hill country area up here where I am. Okay. Yeah, because I when I moved to Virginia from New York, I learned that soil is different because in Virginia, it's clay. And it was very weird to walk outside for the first time. And I was like, ew. <laughs> because Interesting, I grew, yeah. Yeah, on Long Island, everything's an island. So everything's like squish, squish. <laughs> <laughs> so then it was like, oh, sticky. But, okay, so you answered this already. Indoors are outdoors. So if people are trying to get into plants, what is your big advice for them? They just need to, so I think that it's, um, I think the people who struggle with it can sometimes be like type A personalities or people who are very like talented at a lot of things, people who are really 
smart or just gifted and then they're a plant dies and they're like oh i can't garden um which it's like wait no that's like what happens to plants like sometimes they die and sometimes it's your fault and sometimes it's the weather and sometimes it's climate change and sometimes it's um that that's the life cycle of the plant so you got had an annual plant and it it used its life cycle and then it died at the end of its life cycle and you didn't research that so you think that you killed it. Um, the other thing I hear a lot is people say, well, I can't garden because I had a succulent and that died. It's like, okay, well, um, that's, you know, succulent, like, I think, I think that's definitely like a misnomer that succulents are like the easiest thing because with anything like different people are going to excel at different things. And so if you, um, you know, I, I think that like for some people, like a succulent is not the easiest plant you could have. I talked about how I have the indoor snake plant um, and that I think that's the easiest house plant I could think of. So so it really just depends. And um, you have to be OK with the fact that you're like working with a living organism. And so it's not the same as sewing or something like that, where you can get everything to do what you want it to do you kind of have to let go a little bit and, and keep trying even if things die because they will. Oh, sorry. I was muted. Uh, no. Yeah, actually that's great advice because both of those situations happened to me. <laughs> um, I did look up if they were like returners or not. I was just <laughs> bad. I keep being up with the plants because I'm always so busy. And then I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. And then I was like, you know what? I didn't get a succulent, but I got a bamboo plant. I killed three of them um, because I forgot they existed. And I was like, oh, that's on me. But the one I had left is now in the fish tank, so it will never run dry again. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's the way to do it. <laughs> and that's how I have the pothos now or pothos. If someone knows yeah. how to say it, just yeah. DM me <laughs> or comment. Or send an email, but yeah. So nah, that was my big thing. Couldn't remember the water. Everything got sun, so now in the tank, drink to your heart's content. <laughs> and that can be something too. Like if you know how you, if you know that you're not going to have a lot of time to like baby plants and like, you know, or or you might, you know, the growing season coincides with your busy season, or you know that you're not going to be wanting to mess with it every day. Like maybe go for perennials where you if you're like, okay, I know I want to get really into the plant now, but I don't know in the future if I'm going to be, you know, as attentive, you can do like my blueberry plant, you know, or you could do a tree or something like that, something perennial where, you know, you have to get everything set up and take care of it the first couple of years, but then it sort of um, is low maintenance and then providing you fruit every year. Um, not all perennials provide fruit every year. I'm really just thinking about my blueberry right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. My grandma just made the switch too. She used to buy flowers that only bloomed once a year, but now she's like, I'm sick of digging in this dirt. So <laughs> she's like, I'm buying perennials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, she bought fake flowers too, just to mix in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and now it's like a game. It's like, okay, everyone look outside. Which one's the fake ones? <laughs> Which sometimes it is hard to tell. Usually you can tell when it rains. That's how when you know. But otherwise, <laughs> my grandma did a good job. Last question of this planting section is xenoscaping. Are you aware of what it is? 
No, tell me about it. Okay, so I'm starting to think my friend like pulled one on me years and years ago, like 10 years ago now. So I had a friend that grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he was like, uh, we don't have grass here. We xenoscape. And I was like, what is that? He's like, oh, it's when you arrange rocks and succulents oh, and like yeah. cacti. Really pretty. And I was like, what? And so I Googled it and it's really pretty. I I, I guess I was, I have heard it called xeroscaping. And I don't know if that's the same thing. It is. I'm just it bad is. at remembering the name. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah so in a lot of places like where especially in the desert like that's kind of a conservation movement of like not having people just watering their lawns all the time and I think like I've heard um like polit like local politicians like speak on this before from from different places where this was um they 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 work to make it part of the culture as part of like their water initiative, um, which I thought was really interesting. And it makes more sense. And like, um, I have some neighbors who have it and it's really nice. Um, like, yeah, like also having rocks in your front yard seems easier to maintain than like, I don't know, like you don't have to mow rocks. Right. And that's always what I thought when I first saw the pictures, I was like, yeah. wow, what low maintenance, pretty nice thing yeah. is this? The only thing you'd have to worry about is if you like live where tornadoes are and the rocks just fly everywhere. Right, right, right. And I but, think a lot of the places where this is more common is like not tornado places is my yeah. understanding. Yeah. Yeah. More deserty, which you're not yeah. in the desert, you're in the hills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. I don't know geography well, people. So when it comes to landscapes, I always leave it to the guests and I just ask and I am listening and learning along with you. Yeah. <laughs> Texas like, is an interesting place because we got a lot of different, we got a lot of different um, climates going on in one state. Climates, people, accents. <laughs> we have different um, time zones. You're right. El Paso is in a different time zone. El Paso is in mountain time. Is it, oh, are you, is Texas only two time zones or is it three? It's in two, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I know like Arizona also has that direct split, I think. Which is wild because they also don't have, um, they don't have daylight savings. So it's so much math with Arizona. <laughs> A math that I am not good at. You might be better at it though. Because oh no, I just will. I'll just put the um, the clocks on my phone and like have I'll have all the different clocks so I know what time it is if I need to. Cheater, but also it's what I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually i used to do that but now i'm like you know what everywhere i am it's directly 12 hours <laughs> so i'm like oh it's just like okay and switch it oh okay but that works it's not about my world it's about your world so you already mentioned you used to be a school social worker so let's dial it back from there what inspired you to be a social worker in general yeah i always wanted to be a social worker when i was growing up like i know a lot of authors say I've wanted to be an author since I was a little kid. I wanted to be a social worker since I was like seven years old. Um, and I had seen them, you know, and I had, I had seen social workers and I felt like um, what they did was really cool. And so I always thought, you know, one day I'm going to have a job where like I'm talking to people and I'm not always in my office, but when I am, there's like a big map of the whole world out there. And so, um, and so that's actually what ended up being like my job as a school social worker. But um, yeah, in social work school, I 
um, was interested in like different things. I went in thinking I was going to do um, like child protective services and then quickly realized that I wasn't. Um, I got interested in, there's a book called The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down, um, a, a nonfiction book that we read in one of my classes. And it got me interested in um, ho hospital social work and like kind of being an advocate for others and thinking about like cultural, like different, different cult cultures. Um, and then when it came to time for my practicums in undergrad, I did a practicum at a education-based nonprofit, um, culturally specific for Latinas. And then when I was in grad school and you know, my practicum wasn't, um, they, they were trying to find a practicum for me. And so I mentioned what I had done and she's like, you know, I don't want to pigeonhole you, but one of our alum is a Latina who has this culturally specific agency for domestic violence. Um, and so I ended up doing that. And so that's sort of a lot of just like the different experiences I had are what led me to the different, different roles. And so, um, that was a great experience. And then after that, I started working at the National Domestic Violence Hotline, um, you know, kind of an obvious um, change. But then um, when I came, the, what was my intro into schools was um, community schools. So not communities in schools, but like the actual yeah. con model of community schooling. So um, I worked for a nonprofit that um, provided support for parents um, teachers, students that what, you know, I worked on at that school, I worked on um, starting a food pantry there. And, um, you know, I had a contract with the, um, with the electrical company that we were able to help people pay their bills. And so um, I would do get coats in the winter for all the kids and box fans in the summer for all the parents and kind of figuring out ways to, um, to support the school and, and, and support the community. Um, we would do festivals and, you know, prom dresses and all of those, all those things. And then I moved into this, from there, I moved into the school district and um, was working like 50% with students. And those were all students who had basic needs of their own. So they were either, you know, um, parents themselves or they were unaccompanied, homeless, um, as they were the the they were the person taking care of the basic needs in their home. I also had like a resource closet there. So I also saw all the kids who needed socks. So it's a nice, <laughs> it was a nice mixture. Um, always having someone banging on my door saying, Miss, I need socks. And then <laughs> um, and then I also was working with the parents as well. And so it's a lot of um, as you can imagine, and I'm sure you also have experienced yourself um, of going through um, a pandemic and a um, winter storm and all of that entails as the one school social worker who's in charge of basic needs. Um, that was what I did. Yeah, uh, I did a lot of that during my practicum in grad school too um, because my counselor supervisor like had everything on lock, but she's like, but you know who could use your help? <laughs> this lady over here. She actually wasn't a social worker, but she did, that was the position she had was doing all the stuff and we were boxing lunches for like over the weekends and I don't know, just other yeah. things people really look over. Mm -hmm. and, that and that's my one thing about if you're going to go into social work, if you're thinking about social work for basic needs, um, one thing that is unanticipated 
um, is the amount of like arm strength and correct lifting that you're going to want to have going in. <laughs> like, because things that people need are heavy, like water bottles. Um, yes, you know, they are so heavy. heavy. And you're going to have like food is heavy. Like, and you're going to be running around the school with your little cart, with all your, with all your, your stuff. And so you can also learn how to think smart, not hard. And like, you know, get some, whoever's currently um, skipping class and wandering in the halls, you know, get, you know, get them to be your volunteer and help you with moving stuff around. But um, yeah, there's different ways you can do it. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was my job for a while until this past February. And then I transitioned into being a full-time author. And then I started taking up um, PR and um, hospital jobs. Nice. So you've had a very logical journey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is always exciting. But I don't know. I'm always in awe of how social workers end up where they're going. Because another thing I feel feel like people don't understand about social work is that there's a million different ways you could go. Yeah. And honestly, it is a relief. Like it is, it is a relief knowing that I have that. And when you take a job and you're thinking like, okay, I'm going to just do this until I retire. But then like with, with the sort of things that we're faced with, um, you can't feel like a failure just because you have to shift gears. And the nice thing about being a social worker is that there's a lot that's open to you and that you can, um, that if you do need to shift gears, you know, I have, um, I have colleagues who work in, um, they're doing like a lot of legislation and that sort of thing. So then they take on, you know, they come to that, they, they like to, to take shifts at the hospital so that they can also still be interacting with people. And so there's just a lot of different ways that you can do it. Um, but that's, that's also a blessing because you, um, you know, when I left the school, a lot of people were like, take me with you. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) I think that, and, and, you know, and I, and I say that with so much love that everyone's been just, everyone has been through a lot. Everyone's been through a lot, but people who work at schools have been through a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, there's just a collective burnout that we haven't been able to recover from because it keeps, keeps going and you have to keep going. But um, since, since I am a social worker, there are ways that I can, that I can shift and I can take on new roles and that sort of thing in a way that um, not everyone is able to. So that's certainly, that's certainly something that I uh, am thankful for, for sure. Yeah, and I don't know, that's the beauty of social work. And I always tell people if they wanna be social workers, that was my first question, okay, which branch? And the answer is always like, who knows, what's gonna hire me first? <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of how I did it as I did go with who was gonna hire me first and then just sort of, found my way around, <laughs> around it. But, um, and I loved, I loved school social work. It wasn't what I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to do medical social work and now I'm in medical social work. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a meandering journey, but there's different, yeah, there's definitely different things you can do. And if you, you know, if, if you burn out in a certain one, then there's still, <laughs> there's still other things you can, can do, which is good. Which is amazing. Cause for me, no, I need to go back and get a different degree. Yeah. Yeah. But for social work, if I was ever going to go into it, I knew I was going to go into adoption stuff because I find like the whole adoption process fascinating. I'm also adopted, which is very public on here. If you want to hear my adoption story, go listen to Tara and like Andrew's episode. I think it's like episode 25, 26, 27. So 
but yeah, so adoption social work is also a fascinating beast that people yeah. don't realize how much social work there is in there too. Yeah, for sure. So, so much. But, okay, it also in the description of the pre-thing you have to fill out to get on here is you described yourself as a loudmouth San Antonian bookworm. Two of those three descriptions are very self-explanatory, so tell me all about San Antonio. Yeah, so I'm from San Antonio, and I live in Austin now, like I said before. So um, I definitely identify with being from San Antonio, though. And, like, I think part of that, too, is living in a city where you don't count as being from here unless you were born here. So you kind of, you, you hold on to your roots from where, from where you're from. And so, yeah, I'm from, I'm from San Antonio and that's where I grew up and that's where my family still is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how many times have you been to the Alamo? <laughs> I actually, um, so I, I'm not sure. It's definitely under 10. Um, but we, we did have the opportunity, um, my family, my son family had the opportunity to go into like the back side of the Alamo. My grandpa actually um, used to say he had a hand in the Alamo. Um, so his brother was an amazing artist and was commissioned to make a painting for the Alamo. And um, so he did a painting of um, the Mexican soldiers holding up a torch um, and coming, coming in. And so, um, my grandpa was a hand model and he got to hold, I think like a paper towel roll or something. And, um, he, his, so he had a hand in the Alamo. So a lot of hit my uncle's, um, paintings first, or my great uncle's paintings were still in the collections at the Alamo. So our family, they, they opened up like the collections room to our family and gave us a tour and um, his last living sibling got to go and, and kind of see all her brother's work that was there. And it was really, really cool to see that. But yeah, if you are like visiting San Antonio as a tourist, like don't like, don't worry about the Elmo. Like you can walk around the grounds, like go to the other, but if like you're interested in a lot of the, um, like the call, um, the Catholicism and the missions, like go to the other missions. Those are probably more of what, people have in mind when they're thinking of um, like what they want to see when they go to the Alamo. So just hop on a little bike or something and do the little, they they expanded the, the river walk. So you can like take the, take the trails of the river walk to all the different missions and, you know, get some tea at Mad Hatter's tea house and um, just have a nice time. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about going to the Alamo. Just like go to the front, take your pictures, look at if, if it's Christmas time, look at the tree out front there. But um, that that is just like such a, a good story about the Alamo that I, or a good memory about the Alamo that we had, that we had a really good experience being able to do that. No, that is super cool. He literally has a hand in the Alamo. Yeah, my grandpa has a hand in the Alamo. I yeah, gonna his say, legacy like, he helped, lives on. I thought you were going to say like he helped repair a brick in there. So like, <laughs> hand. No, his literal hand is like painted there. Yeah, he just, you know, they needed a nice brown hand holding um, a paper uh, a paper towel, and, and and he had it. So so he made it in. Wow. If only modeling was that easy today. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about who you know. <laughs> that is true, actually. Yeah. So, uh, oh, food-wise, what should people look out for food-wise when they're in San Antonio? Breakfast tacos. Um 
Yeah, breakfast tacos for sure. My favorite is bean and cheese and my characters tend to gravitate towards bean and cheese breakfast tacos in my books. Um, it's definitely like the vanilla of taco flavors is how I think of it, but I like that one. Um, but yeah, definitely breakfast tacos. Um, and then you can have like um, menudo or Mex different Mexican food while you're there. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good food. I mean, there you can get, it's a, it's a major city. So there's a lot of different types of cuisines and different types of people there. Some good vegetarian food, um, some, a lot of really amazing desserts. Um, so I guess like go to a panaderia and get yourself some pan dulce while you're there. Um, you know, we, when, um, when I was young, like if, there was like a teacher work day and uh, it was a federal, federal holiday. My dad would take um, my our family and the neighbor kids whose parents were all teachers. And so he was the only one who had the day off. We, we there was a couple of times um, we went downtown and we would go and get ice cream and we would talk about it for the rest of the year. <laughs> so we loved getting our ice cream downtown. So, yeah. Oh, no, that's so cool. Yeah. And I love how breakfast is universal because like if you go to New York, people are like, go get a breakfast sandwich. Get a bagel. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like oh, that was the whole part of the Harley Quinn movie, the fantabulous Emancipation Birds of Prey renamed movie. All she wanted was a bacon and like cheesy egg sandwich. So yeah, no, the vanilla of breakfast foods. I'm for it. Also, I really love vanilla. Oh, you do? Yeah. I do. I vanilla. like I I like so for like ice cream flavors, I like chocolate, but um, when, you know, when I'm baking, like I found, like I like vanilla, the, like I like vanilla, the, the, um, is it a spice? I, okay, hold on. <laughs> it's a Google. Fruit, it's not a fruit. Is vanilla a spice or an herb? It is the second most expensive spice in the world after okay. saffron. I like the spice vanilla. I like to bake with it um but yeah I, I always have to include chocolate in my baked goods always that's me and almond oh really i love almond i do have almond milk extract now um but i think on like there was a there was a um like a netflix baking show and like the um the the judge was always like, you're at, you're adding too much almond extract. You're adding too much almond extract. So last time I made something with it, I could, I just couldn't help but think of him. But I thought it tasted, I thought the almond extract tasted good. So. Have, my recommendations put it in pancakes. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I'll have to try yeah. it. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to say about San Antonio before we move on? Nope. Cool. All right. So you've been a songwriter all your life. Yeah. Uh, this is what I'm so craving to ask about stuff. Okay. So for those who don't know about my world, everyone knows I do marching band stuff and I do the flag stuff, but I also played clarinet and piano before then. But music was not my passion and it was also not my talent. So part of that type A plant thing, oh, I gave up. Well, okay. <laughs> I just pivoted <laughs> to dance. So what was your first instrument? I... Uh, I did learn, like, I did learn some piano when I was little. Uh, they suggested it to help with my handwriting. Um, it didn't really catch on. I played French horn in sixth grade. 
that didn't really catch on either. Um, I did choir. Um, and then like around, yeah, and like in middle school is when I started writing songs. And a lot of, you hear a lot of authors who got their entry into writing as um, writing poetry. Um, but I was doing a lot of like song lyrics. And so I actually had like in my head what the song would sound like and I would practice it and sing it and I would write down all my song lyrics but um I wasn't writing out like the notes I wasn't I wasn't writing out the music like that I was just writing out the lyrics which is exactly how writing the songs for Margarita in the Spotlight worked out as well so that process has stayed the same <laughs> since I was a kid yeah and you found good collaborator collaborators to work with they're amazing. Yeah. 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 But you said you did chorus. So yeah, I did. What voice part is it called that they give you assign you in um, chorus? Yeah. I don't, I was an alto. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember what those are called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's an alto. Yeah. yeah. It's like alto, soprano, tenor, bass. Yeah. 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 I remember like in, like I had a, a very strange, like, just like I've had like a connection to being an alto. Like I really, really wanted to be an alto and like in, you know, in fifth grade or whatever, when they were saying like, oh, if whoever wants to go into the other room and learn the soprano part, like you can go in and do it. And, and I did for a little bit. And I was like, no, like, I just, I'm not a soprano. Like, that's not me. Like I have to, and the alto part was just the main part everyone was singing um, and that the, the soprano, being a soprano was like the honor, but I was like, no, I have to, I have to go be an alto. And that was even in fifth grade. So yeah, I stuck with that all the way through high school and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a hilarious TikTok based off that actually. Ooh. Uh, I don't, it was like back when I first got TikTok, back when it was still like Vinely, not Vinely, Streamly or whatever it was called, Stream.ly, I think is what TikTok used to be like in 2018. Oh, but okay. it was like two twin sisters and they were identical and they were both were amazing singers. And one of them was like, no, I'm an alto, like fought for it. And how they displayed it, even though they're twins, is they sang like the Phantom of the Opera part where it's like Christine and her best friend. And she, I guess she took the alto part. I thought it was still high for an alto, but hey, you know what? Who am I to know? I don't know voices. And she was like, yeah, I get hit all the same notes as Christine, but no, I'm an alto and I'm sticking with it. That's awesome. Yeah, and I was like, good for you. <laughs> because I'm curious, like if I'm curious if identical twins would have like the same ranges. Um, like is that something that because some of that you can't really develop, right? Some of that is just something you're born with, but then it must be something that's developed too. So interesting. That's a very good point. I never thought of that. You should um next time you should interview those identical twin singers and I would definitely listen to that episode. I, I have actually, a lot of questions for them. <laughs> I'll bring you on if I get them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be your co-interviewer. <laughs> I'm so down for that. Uh, no, actually, funny enough, when I bring on people from TikTok on here, they get like a ton of listens. And I was like, wow, you know, I've had like cool authors on here, people who've really accomplished super cool things. Like the guy that composed the music for the Avengers came on and like, not like the movie, but like the movie trailer. So like still worked with all the same people. Like he came on. He also did stuff for Aquaman and all this stuff. Wow. But like people like love the TikTok people more. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Not judging, just shocked people. Yeah. I still I still don't have a TikTok, but um, I'm thinking about it. I'm in the contemplation stage. 
of <laughs> thinking about getting a TikTok. You know, I assume you sing well, so you can oh, get a no. lot of followers and really promote margarita. No, <laughs> here's that. my here's my idea for my TikTok. I would say, like, if you're a writer and see, and also I told this to my husband, he doesn't think it would make a good TikTok. So you can tell me what you think. Okay. So it's like if you're um, you know, if you're a writer and you're trying to pick where to go to for which how to choose a coffee shop to write in. So you have to assess what the kind of background noise you're going to have is. And is there good? What kind of eavesdropping is it? You need, you <laughs> want it to be good, but not too good. So like, for example, um, you're, you're listening to people and you're kind of picking up the cadences of how they speak and that's helpful. And you're, you're listening to their gossip and like remembering what people are like. But then if you overhear people who are like, covering up like a murder plot or plotting a murder even if you're a mystery novelist you don't want to have to get involved in that that'll take away time from your writing so you don't want to have to overhear that so pick your coffee shop based on that so that's an idea for a tiktok you would get a ton of people though because <laughs> not only i could see the crossover potential because think of us like us as our professionals in a coffee shop if we heard someone like confessing the murder crap we have to mandate you have to get you have to get involved you just you just have to get involved and like people think like oh if it's some really interesting thing you're gonna want to like eavesdrop no if it's too interesting you can't eavesdrop anymore and i have to get involved and like oh maybe that would be great if you're a mystery writer mystery writers should not be involved in in some sort of investigation they need to work focus on writing us books thank you so much right like that show castle it never made sense to me i didn't watch it but she just started following this guy for years apparently on his murder investigations. And I was like, at some point you have to write it. <laughs> but if you actually watched uh, Castle, feel free to DM message at the Shape of a Star podcast and tell me tell me off, tell me I'm right, agree with me or not. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> but, okay, so you did chorus and you were assigned, or not assigned, you chose alto strongly. Uh, how is writing that music different than writing the full-on book, though? Yeah, so the way that I wrote the book was intending it for to, it to be a print book. So I didn't have a contract with Audible when I started writing my book. It was um, on spec, which is what authors generally do for fiction, is that you're just writing a, a novel because you want to. And so in most print books, when there's lyrics, they're in italics, um, and you have the lyrics, and then you kind of imagine the song in your head, and that's how it goes. And so that was the way I wrote it. And um, I did like have idea, like I did sing the songs when I was writing them. And like, that's how I knew how, like how to write the songs. Cause you, you know, I would sing them and have, have that's just how my brain worked and how I was doing it. But that was mostly like for that first book when it was going to become a physical book. Um, that was mostly just like as I was writing it um, and I would just come up with the song and then write the song. And then that was the way it is. Now, once I sold the book to Audible and we talked about, OK, so we can actually do some cool stuff with the songs and like make them full length. So um, I was able to go back and add more songs. So that would be something where anytime I was thinking of something, I would just put it in the notes app of my phone and be kind of coming up with songs that way and, and figuring in um, I had places in the book where I knew I needed to add songs. And so I did. 
Um, and that was just really, really awesome um, how that came together. Yeah. And I, so actually I did record voice recordings of all the songs that I wrote for Audible and sent them all over to them um, of just me singing um, what I thought the songs would sound like. Yeah. Is your voice the voice that's in the actual like audio? When you no, play? it's not. So you made so. demos. <laughs> yeah, I made demos. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Because actually when I first heard your episode on queries, qualms, and quirks, which I'll plug that commercial later, everyone, you'll know what it is. But when I first heard, I was like, wow, this person over here, she just wrote a musical. You were <laughs> the first person to tell me that too. And I think that's such a lovely way to interpret it because that is, that is what happened. I wrote a musical um, and I just didn't, didn't see it that way until you brought it up. But yeah. Yeah, because I have no talent in co composing music, and I think I could barely get through lyrics, but I can understand, like, the concept and, like, the emotion I'd want somewhere. So I'm like, you know, this avenue might be the only viable pathway I ever have to writing a musical. So inspiration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are. It is really cool the things that they can do with audiobooks now and, like, just make instead of just having it be like a read aloud, which is still a great use of an audiobook, like being like, well, what can an audiobook do that a print book can't do? What is something we can do special with this? And I love that my book was able to be part of that and like just something really unique and different. Yeah. Uh, oh, what is your favorite genre of music to write or songs? Um. Yeah, so, so it is, so the music in... Um, Margarita in the Spotlight is all country, and that is kind of what I gravitate towards in terms of, like, writing music as well. Oh, look at you. I would say mini Taylor Swift, but I don't know how people would take that or you would take that, but <laughs> because she's so far in the pop now that I forget she was country originally. <laughs> but... Yeah. The, the, I, in, in some ways, the lead character was, um, not the lead character, but the, um, her, the, her older sister, the lead singer of the songs, was inspired in some ways by Taylor Swift and kind of that um, kind of uh, just a young, just a young person becoming super successful in country music. Oh, that's so exciting still. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So very storytelling, very storytelling country, but a lot of country is very storytelling and lyrics based, which is why as a lyricist, I think I gravitate towards country because it is very much like about hearing each word and knowing like what the story is of the song. And there's other genres, of course, that are like that as well, but it's, it's, it's particularly like that. No, I totally get what you're saying because I've told people this before. Country music has a way of telling a story with so few words because there's only so many words you could shove into like a typical st song structure. Like, you know, like 32 count verse, 32 count chorus, 64 count bridge, back, back, back. Like only so many words you could like logically bring in. Country is not the fastest tempo of place or tempo of music. So it's like you have to really pick your words precisely. And that's the beauty of country too, I think, is that you really do get to create such a vivid world with, yeah, just so few words that you can because you got to go with the melody. And I know you could tweak the melody, but I feel like it's easier to tweak the words some days. <laughs> so no big props to you thank uh, you you as a person though what is your favorite era of music to listen to hmm era or genre I should say yeah I I don't know I don't 
I don't listen to as much music, I think, as people would expect. I have started making writing playlists, um, but that's sort of new-ish, like, in the past couple of years. Um, but because, like, when I was younger or, like, not young, not that young, but just, like, when I would drive, I would listen to the country radio, and then when the commercial would come on, I would just turn off the radio and then just start singing to myself whatever song I made up in the moment. Um, and so I'm not always, and now I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm driving. Um, so I'm not always listening to music and I'm not always as up to date um, with music as you would expect somebody who's, um, you know, who has written music like this in an audiobook um, would be, but I do like country still and I do like like musicals like musicals a lot. I love musicals. Okay, let's pivot to there for a second. Because <laughs> like, okay. back to what we were talking about, about, like the storytelling part of music, I think. I love, I love me, I love a musical. Oh, have you ever seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I've seen one, like one season, yeah. Okay, yeah, because that's like my go-to for anyone in our field. Anyone who likes a musical, I'm like, go watch the whole series because it really is just a complete journey of somewhat mostly accurate mental health stuff <laughs> like they consulted and just highly recommend so since you're in the musicals and i am too i was just listening to annie music on the way home from the fish store that i was telling you about <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite musical um i was just talking to one of my friends about how uh, much i love mama mia and that was actually how i got introduced to abba music was through mama mia like i heard that yeah. first um, and then I also watched Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. So I love that one. My favorite musical, like, growing up was definitely The Sound of Music um, because we had it. And so I could just watch it whenever. Um, and obviously, like, you know, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria was, for obvious reasons, um, sung to me uh, when I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I always tell people the sound of music is my favorite World War II movie. Oh uh, yeah, Which yeah. Gets, I would. I I agree. Because <laughs> it I'll gets take, very yeah mixed reviews when I tell people that. But I'm like, <laughs> but it's not inaccurate, is it? No, it's yeah. definitely about World War II. Yeah, that's true. That's Which true. Which completely went over my head until I was like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, and then they have yeah, and it's obviously got the problematic, you know, Nazi love interest issues um yeah but the music is still good yeah the music is catchy i love confidence well and then they don't end up together spoiler alert for a musical that's been out for a very long time 60 years um, <laughs> but uh but yeah they she doesn't end up with the with a nazi so that's that so that that's better yeah. Oh, actually, I don't. So did you hear a week ago, the final Von Trapp uh, child of Maria and the commander has died. Oh, wow. And apparently it was not one of the seven that was like in the movie or portrayed in the movie. When they got to America, apparently they had like four more kids. Oh, OK. But yeah, she was the no, not she's not the final one because her brother owns. Oh, did you know that they have a whole resort in Vermont? It's literally like the Von Trapp Resort, and it's like giant. They have a ton of weddings. It's lots of skiing. Wow. It's gorgeous. It's on my bucket list to go. It's also next to Ben and Jerry's. 
Oh, factory. well, then you should go to both. That's what my dad did. My dad used to be an engineer and he used to send them places. He's like, oh, look, it's the Von Trapp Hill behind the Ben and Jerry's factory. <laughs> so there you, go. there you go. That's the whole trip. Yeah. If I could get to Vermont. Ugh. I have a whole thing about Connecticut, but different time, different place. Uh, okay. So, no, Mamma Mia, one of the best musicals ever. And I will stand by that with you. And I was so excited when the sequel came out. I went to the theater. I did too. I saw it in the theater. And no, I went to one of the showings that I could just be alone in. Well, alone with like whoever I went with. And I was like, good, we're alone. We could just like freak out in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> and we weren't disturbing anyone. I went with like the most eclectic group of people who were like just the people who my friend knew who all wanted to go. And it was like a very strange mix of people. But we were like, we want to go see Mamiya too. So we're going to go together. And we did. <laughs> and we're ready for the third. Yeah, bring it on. We'll yeah. we'll take it. Oh, did you hear ABBA made, released a new album last year? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> it was very like experimental, but okay. it was the first album in like forty years. <laughs> and they had a Christmas song randomly in there that didn't sound like the others. So ABBA's still active, people. You can make a third. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Back to the main point of why you're here. Actually, let's do the commercial now first, everyone. So the way I got Maria is the way I get most people is through Sarah Nicholas, who runs Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. And that's a podcast where uh, published authors get to go on and explain their inspiration from day of first spark to day of publication and the journey it is to, in order to be published and how it never looks the same. <laughs> and... Like I said, Maria right here probably has one of the most unique stories I've heard on there. Because, again, I don't think people are going to top making a musical. <laughs> so go check that out uh, at Queries, Qualms, and Quirks on, like, honestly, any podcasting platform. And you can check out Sarah's world at sarahnicholas.com. That's Sarah with an H, Nicholas with no H. Or you can Google Sarah and Fisk because that is their agent name. So, Yeah. And that's how I found you. So yeah, <laughs> you said you came into writing later in life. What inspired you to jump to writing? Like yeah, books. I guess. Um, well, later in life is a bit of an exaggeration. It was, um, but it was not like something that I always wanted to do since I was young. Like when I was little, I wanted to be a social worker, um, and then I graduated from social work school um, in a, like in December of twenty fifteen. And then in 2016, I had um, a lot of time on my hands and I was reading all the time. And I, um, so I had like a semester between when I graduated and when I started grad school for social work and I was working with kids um, at an after school program and um, I was reading all the time. And so I thought, um, you know, well, if the mother from How I Met Your Mother was able to be a children's book author. How come I can't be a children's book author? And I Googled in the middle of the night, as people do, how to be a children's book author. And they said to read a lot. And I had already been reading, you know, 100 or however many YA books a year. Um, wow. So, that's impressive. Yeah. I never really stopped after I was a YA. I kept reading YA. And that, yeah, that has not stopped since since I was like, I was lucky enough to like be a young adult in a time when young adult was, um, 
what what was a thing and it was a section of the of the library and of the bookstore so um i just kept going and um kept reading and then um i started with middle grade and writing middle grade books because that was the age group of the kids i was working with at the time knowing um the kind of things they would say and the way they thought and also like what books they were interested in reading and um, what was important to them and like i just like a big one is like fifth graders want to talk about how tall somebody is like if there's a tall person like that's interesting to a fifth grader um so and note from every everything like that to um to just like but the books that i read when i was young and i always loved reading and so the book was definitely um going into middle grade was you know, I just, I, it, it was an, it was a pretty natural transition. My first book was middle grade voice chapter book length. Um, luckily for my, you know, my journey of being an author, I, you know, there, there's not a lot of people you can submit chapter books to. So it was on to the next one. And then um, that was the book that where after a year I got my agent and then we submitted it, it didn't get anything. Um, no bites. Um, but then we submitted um, Margarita in the Spotlight, and um, which was originally called Gringo with a Guitar. Um, but then it became Margarita in the Spotlight. Um, and yeah, then that's the book that became a musical. And is what brought you here today. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about Margarita in the Spotlight in a second. But because you've read so many books, I kind of have questions about that now, too. Sure. What is your favorite book? Oh, my gosh, my favorite book. <laughs> it doesn't have to be number one. It could be like a... Okay, I'll one. tell you my favorite book that I read this week. Okay. Um, I, re I really loved it. So do you read any romance? Uh, I'm new to romance, actually. Okay, okay. So you might actually... So this is an author that... When you read contemporary romance, like she's one of the big names in there right now, Penny Reed. Um, she's a lot of different series. She's done a lot with um, like self-publishing, and she has a lot of different. Um, there's like spinoff. There's spinoff worlds of the worlds that she's created that other people write in now. Um, she has a lot going on, but she had a new book come out called Tin trends to seduce your best friend and you said that a lot of that some of your like audience um like to watch the, the tiktokers and that's yeah. what they want to hear um and so i think people who are on tiktok would really like it because it's actually about like tick like one of the storytelling devices is like tiktok trends um but it's just so well written and i really love the couple and um it's about um you know people who are in the same friend group for a long time, but not actually friends and not actually getting along. And then they decide to do a series of um, TikTok challenges together for plot reasons. And it, it all makes sense <laughs> in the book, but I really, really loved it. I loved that book. Um, that I, and that was my favorite book from this week. <laughs> oh, and then there's another book. Um, I need to see um, Arsenic. We were we talking. We were talking about mystery books about if you overhear people in the um, in the coffee shop. So I'm getting into. I'm not real. I don't read a lot of mystery just because I like. That's why I like romance. I like a happy ending. I like. But what's nice about um, mysteries is that 
they do have that um, cadence of a romance where there's a predictability to the plot. I mean, the point of a mystery is it's not predictable, but there is um, there are structures that it follows and there are like rules that it follows, um, which I like as a reader because I just want to get into all the like fun and interesting things about how people interact. Like I don't want to be disturbed <laughs> necessarily every time I read a book. So um no I feel that. <laughs> I definitely feel that. No that's Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manan Sala and that one is very good and I am on hold for the second book in that series so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah I got tricked into reading a romance book recently and I didn't realize it was a romance genre because uh what's his name Christopher Rice like son of Anne Rice so Anne Rice wrote all like like interview with a vampire like all those things so he like kind of hopped into the genre and he she like let him write some spinoffs in the same world so I was like okay what is this Sapphire Cove let's see what this is started reading it oh this has nothing to do with the supernatural it's about some rich boy who inherits a hotel and is in love with the security guard <laughs> Ew. and I was like oh whoops but it was still good and fun to read and I was like wow I got tricked into romance look at me yeah yeah well I think if you if you're saying like what you like about books is just like having a good time and being with the characters like romance is such a good genre for that because you're not having to worry too much about like you know they're going to get together in the end you know so you're not having to be like all concerned about that you can just kind of enjoy the book and have a good time meanwhile another good book i just read was iron widow i don't know if you've heard of it or read it but total different experience than having a good time that thing was so like up and down round and round and it's so based in just like Chinese culture. It was actually recommended to me by like a ton of people Sarah knows. So Sarah was like, Danny, you need to read Iron Widow. And I was like, okay, fine. Let's see what this is. I had to put it down every other chapter because I was oh like, this is a lot. <laughs> so that's why I was like looking for, I'm like, you know, let me find another romance book <laughs> to like calm my life down a little. And now I'm reading The Cruel Prince, which is allegedly romantic, but also YA. <laughs> Awesome. I don't know if it's going to end up there, honestly, because it's about <laughs> someone being in love with a fairy, I think. So uh, fairies can go anywhere. But yeah, so now we're here for the good stuff. Let's officially tell all the things about Margarita in the Spotlight. Yeah, so Margarita in the Spotlight is a middle grade audiobook. Um, middle grade, for those who don't know, is about ages 8 to 12. So if you remember when you were in school and you went from chapter books to the novel length, chunkier books, that's middle grade before you get to young adult. Um, and so Margarita is a 12-year-old um, girl who um, is the backup singer in her stepsister's country band. And she's perfectly fine being in the background and playing her banjo and um but then there's a racial reckoning in country music and margarita um who is a part mexican part white little girl who's been raised in a very white world by white people um is now in the spotlight of this racial reckoning in country music and so she's kind of having to come to terms with her identity in the middle of um 
in, in the middle of, of everybody and trying to figure out what her identity is and who she is and what she wants um, while she's in the spotlight. Yeah, and hence the title. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, okay, what inspired the actual story of this since it started as a story and not a musical? Yeah, so um, I think um, I was I was living in Georgia at the time, which is why the family is originally from Georgia. And I was driving home on a uh, from a, from a road trip and, and stuck in traffic. Um, and had and you know what I was telling you before, I had the radio on, was listening to country music. I turned it off, um, and so sitting in the car in silence, and and that's sort of how I came up with this idea. And you know, in Georgia. Um, race is very different than the way it is in San Antonio or in Austin. And so I was living my life there as a white person um, for the first time, which was something that I didn't really realize or think about um, when you think about like the dichotomy of, of race and like always being from San Antonio. Um, it was very normal um, for people to have had ancestors who'd been in San Antonio or since that, you know, my, my grand, my grandparents were born in Texas, you know? And so the immigration into San Antonio from Mexico happened in, um, the 1920s and the immigration from Mexico and Latin America to other parts of the U S happened later. And in Atlanta, it was in the late nineties. So people who, look like me or have my background or my like last name or my experiences um, are like four years old there, <laughs> you know, it's just, so it's just a different, it, it, it was just a different thing. And so kind of experiencing white privilege and, and seeing how that worked with my identity was definitely something I was thinking about like all the time because it, it Im impacts how you're, you're navigating through life. Um, like as like a, a, light-skinned Latina, like, what does this look like? And so that, oh, I was thinking about that a lot. And um, if you remember, like, 2016, 2017, there was a lot about, um, there was a lot of conversations about race, because there's a lot of things going on in our country that yep. were very scary. Um, and, you know, still scary things happening um, today. But um, I think that um, that all kind of influenced, like, me, what I was writing about at that time. Yeah. What a pure and wholesome place this came from, though. <laughs> well, and I think, too, like, at that time when we were, um, I was getting so much good writing wisdom from Twitter, and people um, were, you know, kind of lamenting about, well, all, all publishing wants from me is books, like, about identity or about, about being my race or something like that. And so... Um, I thought, you know, if I'm going to make, write a book about race, like I'm just going to go all in, you know, and write a book about race and about my identity and my experience and not what they're expecting, like a book about a little Mexican girl to be about um, at all. It's going to be about, because I'm not going to, if I, I can't speak for anyone else's experience, I can only speak for my own experience. And so um, I, made it as specific as possible. And I think by doing that, it does open it up to a lot, a lot of different people who have had different experiences. No, I think it's really awesome that way too, because 
actually. So you said your family's here since the 20s or? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So half of my family's been here since the 20s and the other half, my dad's the one that came here. So, and also I'm technically adopted. So technically I came here too, but that's a whole different thing. So no. And even though like we, our families came here at the same time, it's so different. Like I never thought about like how one place you could obtain something else and live a different way, identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't either until, uh, (laughs) until we'll first like moving to college in Austin and hearing people say like, oh, their last name is such and such. Why don't they speak Spanish or, and that was never And growing up, that was never a, you know, we all grew up in the United States. And then, of course, like with um, the systemic racism in the American Southwest, like uh, people not teaching their kids Spanish or people being punished for speaking Spanish or um, teaching their kids Spanish. Like um, there's a lot of people who didn't speak Spanish. And my last name is Fraser. So I did, you know, it came from um, a different like like that, that was more normal in San Antonio and then going to Austin and like realizing, oh, that that's not normal. And then going to um, Atlanta and then being like, oh, I am, I am right now benefiting from white privilege and I can like see it. (laughs) Like it's not colorism. It's like, I am, I am, I am presenting as white and I am navigating through the world as white for the first time. So that was, that was interesting. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I guess, I get it in so many very similar but different directional ways because my dad didn't want to teach me Chinese because he thought it would make me like otherism and like different but like everyone on earth expected me to know Chinese so like that angle too and just all the different things but yeah yeah Yeah, I I actually learned Spanish um most like I became proficient or bilingual as an adult I'll say like I I did learn some and I did we did speak some Spanish when I was a kid but like my proficiency and actual bilingualism happened as an adult um, for work and like being thrown into work and being like, okay, well, I guess I need to speak Spanish now if I'm going to do my job correctly. So I signed it. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a very similar position right now with meeting my birth family and all that. And they don't speak English. I'm like, oh crap, I guess I got to learn Cantonese now. <laughs> so yeah, it's amazing how life takes us all different places and similar, but for totally different reasons. Um, So yeah. Are you currently working on anything right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, right now I've been writing a YA novel. Woo! Yeah. So writing middle grade YA, all sorts, all sorts of things. Are you gonna make keep going up the age group into adult ever? You know, never say never. I read a ton of adult romance, so that could potentially happen one day. My write, like the way I write, um, it's very short. And so I would need to be able to prove to myself that I could write enough words to make an adult novel. Um, but like my my young adult first drafts are the size are smaller than some people's middle grades. So I really have to beef them up. So um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I if I write long enough to write an adult book, but maybe someday, yeah. So and as Sarah would ask, are you an underwriter or an overwriter? And you say underwriter yeah and i am too like i wrote an adult fantasy for pitch wars i don't know if do you know what pitch wars is yeah yeah i was yeah, a, okay. i was a mentor that's why i met sarah actually oh duh everyone knows sarah through pitch wars but yeah so <laughs> when i was pitching through pitch wars uh my adult fantasy completed manuscript was 79 and a half thousand words and i was like minimum's eighty thousand, and i was like i can't stretch it out 
someone read it to me and tell me where a subplot can go or something. Imagine. I have never had a finished draft get to 70, that, that far, like that big. So good for you. <laughs> it took 10 years. So amazing. Wow. That's amazing. Well, yeah, just every, t- it was more like you write it, take a year or two off, go back to it. Like I haven't touched up manuscripts since 2020 and I'm about to restart and I'm like, all right, here we go. Oh, you can't see it because it's a podcast. I just made the sign of the cross. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right. That brings us in- to the end of the main question portion. Woo. You ready for the rapid fire? I'm That's ready. Bring never, it on. It's never rapid, so don't feel pressure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what are your chosen coping skills? I don't know. <laughs> we'll skip that one. <laughs> Skip. Isn't this your career too? I like b- baking. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I was like, yeah, wow, not planting, not reading. <laughs> oh, yeah, reading, planting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do those are my coping skills. I was like, you're a very wholesome person. We just went through a time. <laughs> yeah, no, I use all the things we talked about earlier. No, yeah, that's actually half the fun of these questions. Uh, people can't see it, but I tell them all the time, like everyone makes the same shocked face when they ask these questions. <laughs> so just fun psych things to think about and notice. All right, next up is Team Edward or Jacob? Jacob! <gasps> wow, a Jacob person. I'm not Jacob, but it's exciting to meet Jacob people because you are only like a third of the population of Twilight, I feel. Oh my gosh. But, you know, go you. <laughs> Oh, which direction should you cut a sandwich? Mm, I wouldn't say should, but I would say the best practice is diagonal. And then what direction should you fold a napkin? Oh, I think you should try to do some like fancy art with it, like a swan. Trying to think how hard it would be to do a swan because I know how to origami a swan, but okay. Well, like, are you using a cloth napkin or a paper napkin? I don't know. The question's not that specific. Just, just like, just or or what you could do is just like pinch it from the middle, go up, and then put it in the cup. That's fancy. That is fancy and easy. (laughs) That's you know you can call it origami, but it's just (laughs) it's just basically what you do with tissue paper when you're wrapping a present. Oh my god, that's how people do it. No, wait, wait, I just yeah, when you're putting together a gift bag, you just hold it from the middle and then like <laughs> oh, I had a face cloth and I just did it with it because that's not how I do it. I literally take individual pieces, crumple them up, undo them, just shove them on top. The way you said so much easier. Yeah, and then you have you don't have to use as much tissue paper. Yeah. Uh for those who know me, you know that I am not a domestic artist. <laughs> Anything in the, quote, domestic lifestyle, I'm horrible at. But, yeah. hey. You know, it's just put a present in a grocery bag, and then they can, it's like two-in-one, because they can reuse the grocery bag next time they go shopping. You know, fair. I like to wrap things in tinfoil sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Especially grab bags, because if you put something good in the grab bag, you can get it again. I learned that from the nanny. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what gift would you want to get from a fairy? Ooh. Um, like I'm thinking about Ella Enchanted and like how every gift had like a a misfire in the other direction. So 
Um, I don't know. I would need, I would, I would definitely like want to have a, like a long conversation with the fairy about like making sure this is going to work out <laughs> in order to pick the right one. It would take some time to some deliberation to like pick the right gift. All right. I'm like, I want to know like, what's it going to cost the fairy? Like, are they going to be okay? Like depending on which gift I pick, like it would, it would be a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> would you be on the run for the rest of your life because the fairy took the gift from someone else and gave it to you? That's a, that's such a good question. Yeah, I'll bring that up. <laughs> um, left or right Twix? Left or right Twix? Oh, because the Twix, they break from the middle? Do have <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, I'll have, I'll have both sides. It's because the commercial asks which team you're on. So I was like, all right, let me find out if people actually pay yeah. attention. Yeah, do people, does anyone have an affiliation with a team of Twix? Uh, a lot of people do. Oh my gosh. I was surprised. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll go with left. Mm hmm Awesome. For no reason other than I just decided right now. Are you a lefty? I'm not. I'm not either, but I wish I was. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> lefties are have the ability to adapt so well and i well i think it's their force too too but right fun fact everyone in my family of that is the youngest of a sibling set is lefty including that my adopted sister that's, <laughs> so, a fun, that's a very fun fact yeah yeah so just no matter what generationally it's been that way for like four generations now every youngest sibling in a set great so, yeah it's a nightmare trying to figure out where to sit though <laughs> when we're eating it's like all right <laughs> you put them all together and then everyone else is on the other side <laughs> but when we have people over we're like okay you've just what are you okay uh <laughs> um we're very uh considerate i would say because we have to think of that uh what's a trend that went too far Ooh. i don't think that they should have been licking the ice cream in the freezers that was that wasn't good <laughs> it's amazing what people remember that's why i love asking that question <laughs> why why so, do why are you doing that just like get the whole get the whole gallon for yourself you know if you want to lick it in your own kitchen like consume your ice cream how you need to do it but don't do that at the grocery store come on i agree you know, if they have sampler, if they have tasters, you know, you can get the taster, go, you know, go grocery shopping, like, in the middle of the day on a Saturday, and maybe they'll be giving out samples. That's my best advice. Or go to an actual ice cream store, because you can get samples of every single flavor. So, yeah, that, that trend, why? Why? Fun fact, that's what Tyra Banks tells models when they have cravings. She's like, guys, if you ever just need to crave ice cream, just go get a sample from a store. One little sample isn't going to kill you and ruin your figure. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I mean, if you if you if you own an ice cream store and you ever see a model come in, you're like, oh god, she's just going to want a bunch of samples. <laughs> she's not going to buy anything. Tyra Banks told her. <laughs> um, oh, here's the next one. What is one thing you would eliminate from life? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's like a butterfly effect. I want to say mosquitoes, but like, I don't know what population they're like controlling, you know? Oh, you're thinking controlling. I'm like, okay, what eats mosquitoes and what would we Oh yeah. And then from? what would they be eating? Yeah, I guess. And I guess like, you know, I want to, you know, I want to say something serious, like 
also want to, I would also want to eliminate something bad, but I won't go there. I'll just start to stick with mosquitoes. That's fair. Do you have a lot of mosquitoes in there? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot, but they're here. No, because there's a lot up here, but I've also lived on the coast my whole life. So a bunch yeah. of cesspools of still yeah. water everywhere. Um, <laughs> oh, who would play you in a documentary or movie about your life? Mm. I would I would assume it was like someone younger than me because if they're gonna be playing like that's what I, I've, I've thought about this before because I feel like it's probably some unknown who I've never seen before because most of like when I you know when you get asked this and all the actors you know are older than you it's like they probably aren't gonna be playing me. Um, I don't know. What do you, what's your answer to this? Uh, <laughs> I don't have an answer to this because I assume it would be an unknown too. But you're only the second person to think of that logic <laughs> of the 40-something people I've interviewed. So, Do some people like have actual like people? I don't know. Yeah, actually. Some people That's do. That's great. Wow. Good for yeah. them. Right? And I'm like, wow, it must be nice to be represented. Uh <laughs> I mean, that's where my mind went, too. No, yeah. Because I'm like, who do I got? Harry Shum Jr.? He's a great dancer, but he's also six-something, and I'm 5'5", five five, so... <laughs> <laughs> like... How old is he? That's a great question. Harry Shum Jr. Age is 40. Oh, my God, he's 40? Oh, okay. Well, he's way out of my age range, then. <laughs> to play me. And then I was like, okay, maybe I have to find some K-pop star, but like they're Korean, not Chinese, even though half of them are from China. So it's like, you know what? I'll just host, host auditions from then. And I also decided too, that when I do host auditions, if this ever comes around, I'm not going to call it an acting audition. I'm going to call it a dance audition. Ooh. <laughs> just so I could see the talent that could come in. I'm like, okay, let's see if we can work with this. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh Oh. The next question relevant, what genre would that movie or documentary of your life be? Ooh, um, maybe a musical. Sounds fun. You're the only other person to say musical. <laughs> I mean, I mean, after hearing you talk about dance auditions, I think that's <laughs> that sort of helped. Yeah. Um, oh, if you stick to the status quo, which click would you be in? Hmm. I was just seeing the song from High School Musical. No big deal. We know. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> Every time we hear this question. Every time someone's singing it. I was just doing it in my head, though. Kind of. I was also, uh, I was also mouthing words. Um, I'll, I'll hang out with the, the basketball players. I'll hang out with Troy Bolton. It'll be fun. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, I came up with this question while watching High School Musical. Surprise, surprise, everyone. Ooh, wasn't a far jump. <laughs> but uh, what click should you actually have been in high school? Um, I would have been happy to be in any click. It's like nice. Like it seems it seems so um, it just seems so convenient. Like you just have this like group of people who you're like, I'm going to walk into them and like, because I'm part of this group, like I'm automatically accepted. I don't have to do any of the work of like becoming friends individually with everyone and like coordinating them to all be together. 
you just show up and like, I'm, you know, Vanessa Hutchins or whatever, and I'm ready to be in your clique. Like, that sounds great. <laughs> um, or maybe I should have been in like the math math elites so that they could have helped me with my homework. <laughs> I'm like, you guys, I'm struggling. <laughs> Where I'm, I'm like five years behind you in math, uh, math levels, but like, maybe we can work on this together as part of our math elites assignments. Spoiler alert. Uh, I was friends with the math elites and they could not help me. <laughs> in high school yeah it's a teaching teaching people stuff is a skill and teaching people math is definitely a skill for well, sure they also couldn't figure it out that was the mm. other issue i didn't they weren't great mathletes but they were mathletes that's so cute <laughs> i love that i love a bad mathlete good for them oh and then like oh uh episode four everyone tyler halata so everyone knows he was my ex he is my ex now but we were together in high school and we're still tight today but he was, he's a huge computer programmer in Boston now. Still cannot do algebra to save his life. I don't know if that's going to ruin jobs for you in the future. So I'm sure he's gotten better since we were dating <laughs> in high school. But <laughs> no, I used to do that to him all the time. He's like, I don't know. They forced me to skip algebra one because yeah. I was accelerated. All but... of the all of the practical math classes that I've taken have been a lot more useful in my life than the like the um the algebras and the pre-cal and all of that that's stuff i don't really use oh, did, you practical take, stuff I use. did you have to take statistics for your social worker stuff mm -hmm. yeah i did i think statistics is so much easier and i don't know why actually i yeah. just explained a lot, of, a lot of people a lot of people do like a lot of people who that like a lot of people who go into like our fields or helping people professions, I feel like prefer statistics because maybe they're thinking more like logically and like, like the story of statistics, like you can explain it. It's not a whole new language. Oh, the like Mean Girl says, math is the language of everywhere, whatever. Yeah, I botched that, whatever. Okay, last rapid question, which, ooh, okay, I think I'll have a field day with this. If your life was a jukebox musical, what would the opening song be? Oh my gosh. I have to get this one right. Um, Uncharted by Sarah Bareilles. Wow, that's a good one. I feel like that would be like a good opening song. It would be wow. like, we're ready. We're ready to start this musical. And she writes musicals, so, like, she's ready, too. Also, did you hear, like, yesterday they just announced that she's transitioning to Broadway for Into the Woods? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I follow a lot of musical theater news. Um, but, yeah, so Sarah Bareilles, everyone, I, I by the time this comes out, she'll probably already be done. But Sarah Bareilles is going to be the baker's wife in Into the Woods. Wow. She was in it in, like, some, like, New York City production place that doesn't do Broadway, but it's now transitioning. And Neil Patrick Harris was the baker. But he is not transitioning with it. But she is. Mm, okay. But yeah, she was great in Waitress. Uh, I don't know what what musicals have you seen? Yeah, I want to see Waitress one day. I would love to see Waitress. Um, I've seen um, the Book of Mormon. Um, I've seen Wicked. Um, I've seen the ones that have been televised, like Hamilton. Um, not Newsies, though. I know that it is televised, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, Newsies is on Disney Plus, both versions, everyone, if you care. <laughs> the movie that I, it was. I will eventually get to that. I think that I think I would I think I would like it. Did you see the prom? 
okay, The Prom is on Netflix, and it was, like, a very short Broadway run, and there was a lot of opinions about the movie, too. Okay. So I was like, okay, I recommend The Prom. Uh, oh, if you have HBO Max, I've learned there's a ton of musicals on there. Like, two days ago, I figured it out. Like, Singing okay. in the Rain's on Good there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I've never seen Singing in the Rain, which is, like, a staple of musicals. Oh, so. yeah. Well, I will say, like, my parents, they used to um, say, like... Um, Oh gosh, which song is it in Singing in the Rain? Um, oh gosh, now, now I'm drawing a blank. Um, good morning. Good so morning. They would, like, yeah, good morning, you. Um, good morning to you. That one? Yeah. So they used to sing that one as annoyingly as possible to like make us wake up if we weren't doing a good job of that. Um, and they would say, good morning, good morning. You slept the whole night through. Good morning, good morning to you. And they were basically <laughs> obnoxious. And then so like this happened for years and years and years. And then we finally go and we watch Singing in the Rain. And it turns out that good morning is actually a middle of the night song. And that it's not about waking up in the morning. It's about how they stayed up all night working so much so that it became past midnight. And so I felt betrayed. Oh my God. That same thing happened to me because of my grandma. Have you ever seen Guys and Dolls? Okay, so Guys and Dolls is about a gangster and he his girlfriend's after him to get married or something. Anyways, but the point is, so the song, I love you, a bushel and a peck, that song. My grandma always sang it to me, right? And I'm watching Guys and Dolls. Actually, my high school put it on and I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'll go support my theater friends, whatever. And all of a sudden, it's a strip tease. <laughs> And I was like, this is what she's saying yeah. to me? <laughs> <laughs> That's too just... funny. <laughs> so on that other note of connectionness and not feeling represented and all that, is there anything else you want to say to the world? Um, hi, world. Take care of yourselves. Be nice to everyone. Um, be nice to yourself. Um, and don't forget to, like, stay hydrated and... Um, a lot of times if you're not doing well, maybe just like clean your glasses and see if that'll help. Um, sometimes it does. And if it doesn't, then, you know, go seek help. That was such a social worker answer. <laughs> Have you rehearsed that? No. That was really good, though. I felt like that could have been a good infomercial. Just clean your glasses, people. It might be what's making the world foggy. <laughs> like literal fog. That's why you're feeling hazy. There's haze in front of your on your lenses in front of your eyes. Just clean them. You'll feel better. <laughs> and fun fact, people, this is the day after I got LASIK surgery, so. <laughs> oh, so this is not relevant to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it still feels like it too. Oh yeah, you have to wear protective goggles, and I wore them for four hours when I woke up because I thought it was my glasses, and I forgot I don't need them anymore. It's actually the goggles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, so where can people find you if they want to find you? Um, Maria Fraser underscore on everything. And everything. And MariaFraser.com on the internet. <laughs> the internet. The good trusty internet. Yeah. All right. So, Maria, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Oh. It was so nice to talk to you. It was so nice to talk to you, too, after our constant DMing back and forth, <laughs> trying to schedule. But, oh, all right, everyone else out there. So, catch you next Orbit Satellites. And, yeah. Do all the things Maria said, because she said it better than I did. Bye.